See, the measure of a person's character is what you'll do when you know no one else is looking. What you do when you know absolutely no one else will find out. What you are is what you do if you're absolutely certain no one else really is looking. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Achieving Moral Victory. Yesterday, Pastor Carl explained that sometimes success and prominence for the true believer can make them a target for temptation. However, today he shows us that in order to resist temptation, we must be more concerned with what God wants rather than men. Please join us in Genesis chapter 39, verse 12, as we continue. And that's often the way it is with adultery. People think it's sacred, it's safe. But God has a way of putting eyes and ears around the person who is going after, quote-unquote, safe sex. But sex outside of marriage is never, ever safe. My wife and I were on vacation, and we're in a remote place, in a gift shop, and who do we see? A pastor with another woman. He would have never have dreamed that we would be there. So the lie in our day is that sexual repression Sexual expression, experimentation is a good and healthy thing. And so this young, naive man, because from the start he did not call wisdom his intimate friend, verse 21 says he's headed for disaster. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now go back to Genesis 39. We find the same kind of woman that we find here in Proverbs chapter 7, but she's encountering a very different kind of man. Look at Genesis 39 in verse 7. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. Once again, a very direct approach. It's sudden, it's unexpected, it's shameless. And her approach comes not just through her look, but through her words. And let me remind the men who are listening today, our society, our churches are filled with Potiphar's wives shameless women who will bring good men down. And ladies, of course, the corollary is true. Our churches are filled with shameless men who will bring good women down. So how does he respond to such a woman? Well, let me tell you first how some Christian men might respond. Some would flirt with the temptation, enjoying the attention that the woman is giving. Still others might rationalize and think, well, let me, let me think this over. And Satan, he'll use whatever he can to bring you down. 
And I suppose this super pious man might say, well, Mrs. Potiphar, let's pray about this. But that's not what Joseph does. And I suspect that before she made this direct appeal, she probably did little flirtatious things to make conversation with him. She probably looked at him in a certain way. The scripture speaks of a woman who captures a man by her eyes. Eyes can be clear and bright, or they can be seductive and sinful. And by the way, Satan has always hated the Jewish people. The heartache that they have experienced and are yet to experience in the time of Jacob's trouble, much of it has been directly an assault from the evil one. And here's Joseph, a really set-apart Jew, a Jew that God is ultimately going to use to preserve the nation. And Satan hates people like that. He could see that Joseph had a loving relationship with God. And so he doesn't like people like that. Here's a man, he's strong, he's handsome, he's a great leader, but he's passionate for the Lord. And so Satan tries to lure him through the only thing that Potiphar didn't give him, his wife. Now, I know Joseph could see this coming, and it's indicative in his answer. This is not a man who fantasizes sin. This is a man who fantasizes obedience. In fact, he not only says no, he gives three reasons for saying no. Look at verse 8, but he refused. If you forget the three reasons, please don't forget these three words, but he refused. That's just a flat-out no. That's a decision of the will. And to those who would rationalize, do not forget how this red-blooded single man with all of the natural desires and passions of youth, just says no to her address. Now, why does he refuse? He gives three reasons. The first reason is because he would be unfaithful to his master. Look, if you will, at verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. He's saying, how can I betray my master's trust? He's a man who's invested everything in me. I'm not going to sell out the man who trusts me. So he tells her that he's he's held nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. He had been put into a position of power, into a position of privilege, and he's not about to violate that that sacred trust. But there's a second reason. Not only would he be unfaithful to his master, he would be unfaithful to himself. Look, if you will, at verse 9. There is no one greater in this house than I. Joseph had a clear-cut self-image of himself. It was beneath him to be involved immorally. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. There is no one greater in the house than I. Oh, that every man who ever got involved with a married woman, with any woman, And any woman who would get involved with some man, single or married, ultimately may be getting involved with another person's husband or wife. They are violating a relationship with another person. So he has a strong moral conviction 
that it was wrong to have such a relationship with another man's wife. Though the Ten Commandments had not yet been written on tablets of stone, they had already been written on Joseph's heart because the law of God is written into our hearts. That's why cultures across the world who've never seen a Bible innately have the same morality that's expressed in the Ten Commandments unless they suppress it. So what concerns me so much of the immorality that is prevalent in our society is that we have kind of a cavalier attitude. It's only sex. It's none of your business. If there's two adults who consent, there's nothing wrong with it. And everything our government is doing, virtually everything, the only thing they're really interested in is sexual immorality. So our president came out this week and he says, well, I don't believe life begins at conception. Oh, really? No, it's a woman's right to kill her little baby in the womb in spite of the fact that the Supreme Court overlooked the Texas decision. But it's not just an act between two consenting adults. Not when you've seen what I've seen as a pastor. When you see the children who whimper. When you see a woman who cries uncontrollably, like the woman I counseled this week in another state because her husband cheated on her and she thought it would never happen. When I hear a man, grown men weep, It's nobody else's business. When you think that way, you've bought into the reasoning of the evil one. No one ever sins in isolation. It always affects someone. Now look at Joseph's final reason. Not only would he be unfaithful to his master and unfaithful to himself, he would be unfaithful to his God. It's really the climactic reason why the Lord God has blessed me. And he's been with me and he's given me success and he loves me and I love him. Look at verse 9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? He doesn't whitewash the sin of adultery. He calls it what it is, a sin against God. And that's what David ultimately said and confessed after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He recognized that there was no Old Testament sacrifice for adultery, that they should have covered him with a pile of stones. And the only thing he can cry out in Psalm 51:4 against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. He recognized that no man sins in isolation And while adultery is a sin against myself and others, it is ultimately a sin against God. In addition, I want you to notice a second characteristic of this temptation. This temptation was a persistent temptation. It was a persistent temptation. Now, remember, temptation is any solicitation to evil. And so first it's pointed. She just blurts out, come lie with me. But it's persistent, verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now, if you're living in the imaginary bubble that temptation once resisted will somehow vanish, let me pop that bubble for you. The same temptation can come again and again and again as it did with Joseph. Maybe Potiphar's wife said, okay, Joseph, Your religion may be different from mine. 
I understand that, but can't we at least be friends? Let's, all I want to do is talk. Maybe we can have lunch together. You know, you're a wise man. I could benefit from your counsel. Yes, do you think she was persistent like that? Of course I do, because the text says she spoke to Joseph day after day. And not only would he refuse to listen to her, appeal to be with her, he, he, he just, I'm not going to listen and I'm not going to be with her. He didn't flirt with sin. He didn't court sin. And so to help us really to see where they are in terms of their own personal repentance, when someone falls into this kind of thing, I, I will ask them, well, tell me about this person you've been unfaithful with. Are you going to stay with her? Do you see her every day? Yeah, I see her every day. You know, I work with her. Then you better get a new job. Or there needs to be some major adjustments at the place you work. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. This, this is my job. Well, are you physically attracted? Or, yeah, are you emotionally attracted? Yes. Then you better get a new job. You can't go to work five days a week and be with this woman and think, oh, I'm just going to pull this off and I'll be fine. You know, we'll just be friends. No woman should ever hear that from her husband. Well, we're just friends. Any friend that you have with a woman should be in your wife's presence, where you're mutually friends as husband and wife. Don't tell me you're just friends. We, you know, we just like to go to lunch and talk. Your ultimate friend should be your wife. Look, the relationship is not over if you're not willing to physically and emotionally separate yourself from the person. It's a pointed temptation. It's a persistent temptation, but it's a private temptation. The temptation was a private temptation. Now, what we find recorded in verse 11 is really her trump card, her final ambush. Notice, now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. Joseph was just doing those things he was responsible for, and none of the men of the household were, was there inside. See, the measure of a person's character is what you'll do when you know no one else is looking. What you do when you know absolutely no one else will find out. What you are is what you do if you're absolutely certain no one else really is looking. And she must have thought, ah, I can persuade Joseph. Maybe he's afraid that his fellow slaves and workmen or even my husband will find out. But no one's around. So she boldly grabs him. She caught him, verse 12, by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. I like the old English to the King James. It's a little wooden, but it's more literal to the Hebrew. It says, he fled and got him out. <laughs> he fled and got him out. Now, I know what some might reason. Wasn't Joseph being kind of a baby? Maybe he could have stayed and tried to win her over to the one true God. Maybe he could have converted her. But every time this sexual temptation is underscored in the New Testament, there's one command, and it's flee. Don't fight it. Flee from it. 
What a difference between King David and Joseph. David lingered and watched Bathsheba. Had he done what Joseph had done, had he immediately gone back into the palace and shut the door, he never would have made such a mess. Flee, youthful lust, Paul writes to Timothy. And so with every temptation, there's a way of escape. And the way of escape for this sexual kind of temptation is to flee, to run from it. So he slips out of his garment Leaving it in her hand, he goes outside where there's other people, where no other advances can be made. He fled and got him out. Now, if you reason with lust, then you will ultimately yield because you cannot fight it. You must flee it. So he, he lets her take his outer garment because his purity is more important to him than that coat. His reputation for the living God is more important to him than failing in this realm. Well, this woman's lust was quickly turned to hate, and that's often the way it happens. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me, he came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. She probably took her hands, maybe messed up her hair, maybe even scratched her body some, and yelled, Help! Help! She had a plan. If he resisted, he would regret his decision. And that's often as it is. With adultery, when you, when you turn down the person that has gone after you, then they hate you. Verse 15, when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she calls in the men of the household. She accused him of attempting to forcibly violate her. And because no one was close by, She could raise her voice, and who could question her? Oh, I've got the garment. Here's the proof right here. What are the slaves going to do? Are they going to question Potiphar's wife and call her a liar? I don't think so. In addition, he's a foreigner. He's one of those Hebrew, you know, one of those Jews. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. She just played the part for all it's worth. She didn't want anyone to move the so-called evidence. Then she spoke to him with these words, Say, Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. And I'm certainly not alone with other Bible expositors to understand that his anger is not so much directed at Joseph as it is against his wife. You say, how do you know that? Forget hieroglyphics for a moment. Egyptian law does teach It does teach that 
if someone were to violate another person, it was punishable by death, he would be immediately executed. But forget that for just a moment. If Joseph had violated this woman, he'd be a dead dog before the day was over. In everything that this man thought about this servant, which he knew was true, would be erased, but he knew it was true. He knew this was not Joseph. He knew his wife. So what does he do? He has to maintain order in the household. So he has to throw him in jail. So verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in the jail. Doesn't have him executed. Should have under Egyptian law, but he knows better. He knows what is really the scoop. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. You mean to tell me that the Lord was with Joseph, as it says seven times in this chapter, and he ends up in prison? There's not a single verse in the Scripture contrary to prosperity theology that says that you are exempt from hardship and difficulty. The Lord was with Joseph whether he was in the penthouse or whether he's in the prison. Now, how are we going to apply this passage of Scripture this morning? Let me quickly, we're almost out of time, suggest three applications. Number one, really maybe four. When, when we are most successful, we are often the most miserable, most vulnerable to sexual temptation. When we're most successful, we're often the most vulnerable. And how true that was in Joseph's case. Things were really going well. He had been delegated responsibility. He had been given authority. He was popular. He was liked. He was respected by his fellow servants. And it's often in the midst of success that people will let their guard down. And God knows that. That's why he gave this warning to the people of Israel as they walked into the promised land, Deuteronomy 6. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then, in the midst of this great success and blessing, Watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. God warns that it's often in the midst of prosperity that we are most vulnerable. In America, we live in a leisure-oriented society. We have entertainments and blessings that few countries in the world enjoy. And many Christians have let their guards down. The average American has let their guard down. There are some Christians who should be here this morning, but you're still crying COVID when it's no real danger to you. Oh, but it's convenient. It's just convenient. I'd rather watch you preach here from my living room couch than in that pew. Second, to resist sexual temptation, we must avoid verbal and visual stimulation. Now, verse 10, we read it, he didn't listen to her or even didn't want to even be with her. What a stark contrast to so many today. 
People entertain music, books, websites. And look, I know there are some things that are just in your face, but if you can't visit a, a, a website like Fox News and, and there's some deviant ad that they have, then, then don't visit it at all. If you don't have enough spiritual steel in your spine, if you're rationalizing some of the shows that you're watching because there's just a little bit of sex in it, then you better stop. That's what this couple did that I counseled this week. They started together watching trash. And it was a short throw from there to adultery. Put on the Lord Jesus. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Little by little, you open the window of your eye, which comes into your soul with trash, and you will fall. Third, To resist temptation, you must be more concerned with what God thinks than what man thinks. Here's a guy so filled with integrity, willing to forfeit his own freedom in order to reject this woman's offer that he might serve his Lord. And let me say, if you choose to serve the Lord today and you don't go to some of the places and you're not in tune with some of the shows and movies and series that the average pagan and, yes, even pastors who use his illustrations and the pulpit are in tune with, then you'll be called legalistic. You'll want to watch or listen to the final message in this series, still some weeks out. Finally, our character is formed by the sum total of right decisions we make. Our passage reminds us that this temptation took place day by day. It took place over an extended period of time. Joseph did not deal with this temptation in one momentous occasion. It was over. It didn't stop. And that's the way temptation often comes, day by day by day. Look, evil is growing at an unprecedented rate in our world today. So what kind of a man, what kind of a woman will it take to make an impact in this kind of a society? It takes a person who is distinctively different. Now, you may be here today, and you feel like you've messed up your life so bad. You just feel like your life is in shambles. If you've never met Christ, He can forgive you with His precious blood. And if you're a Christian... While you might not be able to erase some of the consequences of bad decisions that you've made, God can give you a fresh start. Seven times in this passage, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord caused all Joseph did to prosper. The Lord blessed him on account of Joseph. Whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. And what God did for Joseph, he can do for you if you'll let him. Now, our Father, we thank you for this passage this morning. May these lessons be embedded into our hearts and minds. We ask it in Jesus' name. Pastor Carl leaves us with two great points of application. First, our character is formed by the sum total of decisions that we make. And second, to resist sexual temptation, we must avoid both verbal and visual stimulation. If you would like to listen again to today's sermon or any past messages, you can use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. Also remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures 
at 877-787-7478 and requesting program AMV021. If you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, you can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.